Welcome to Central Line, Leadership in Healthcare, the show that shares stories, experiences, and advice from notable and innovative leaders in healthcare. Leading in healthcare is incredibly challenging. So if you are looking to learn firsthand from nurses, physicians, administrators, and other healthcare professionals in leadership and management roles, this is the podcast for you. Hosted by Leah Wuchik, leadership development expert, executive coach, healthcare professional, and president and co-founder of Tall Trees Leadership. We talk with today's successful healthcare leaders on how they get to where they are, lessons learned along the way, and what it takes to thrive as a successful leader in healthcare. Let's get started with your host, Leah Wuchik. Tresha Moreland is a 30-year experienced HR leader that specializes in strategic planning, workforce planning, and employee engagement. Tresha served in a leadership capacity in the healthcare industry of 18 of those years. She is a principal leadership consultant and founder of HRC Suite, who helps leaders improve their ability to execute on business strategy through creative and forward-thinking workforce solutions. Tresha has co-authored books such as Navigating the Healthcare Workforce Shortage, How to Safeguard Your Organization's Most Important Asset. Tresha's education includes dual master's degrees in human resource management and business administration. She also possesses a senior professional human resources and Six Sigma Black Belt professional certification. She is also a fellow in American College of Executives with the designation of F-A-C-H-E. Hello, Tresha. How are you today? Good. How are you, Leah? I'm really great. Thanks so much for being here at Central Line Leadership and Healthcare. I'm very excited to spend a bit of time with you today and hear your thoughts on the healthcare workforce shortage, because I know it's something that is front of mind for a lot of people. But before we get started, I'm wondering if you can just share a little bit about yourself and the work you do. Sure. Absolutely. My pleasure. Uh, Well, I'm a 30-year HR experienced leader, and I have about 18 of those 30 years have been spent in the healthcare industry. I've worked in all different formats of healthcare, whether it be for-profit, not-for-profit, and a full continuum of care of healthcare, uh, which includes acute care, long-term care, Uh, surgical centers, uh, behavioral health, all of those uh, pieces that make up healthcare. uh, That is also in my background. Uh, Today, I am a consultant for HRC Suite. We provide services for leaders, whether they be leadership development, organizational development, helping organizations, and particularly today is so important, uh, learn new strategies or improve strategies towards uh, attracting talent, retaining talent, developing talent, and et cetera. Wow. So you've been in this type of work for a while, and it sounds like your experience in healthcare really has crossed a wide variety of practice areas. And I'm just curious, what was your favorite? 
You know, I actually liked the uh, variety of the healthcare industry as far as working for not just the acute care, but the systems that had a full variety of services uh, because each had their own challenges as well as opportunities for staff. I really learned a lot about the business by having that kind of mix of um, services that are offered to the community. And so those are probably my favorites, pretty general, Leah, so if you know, as far as uh, boiling me down to one specific service, I couldn't say that, uh, that I had anyone in particular, but I just really like that wide variety of services that healthcare provides communities. Right. It's almost like uh, asking you which of your kids is your favorite. Oh, that's right. So um, before we dive into the topic of the healthcare workforce shortage, what I'm curious about is what do you love about what you do? Well, I love making a difference. Um, and I know I can in particularly around the workforce shortage is such a daunting challenge. It has been for a while, but now with COVID, things have accelerated to beyond crisis levels. I don't know if there's different levels of crisis, but (laughs) it just seems like we've accelerated to so many different levels of crisis, but I feel like I can make a big difference in uh, helping organizations um, inspire their workforces, attract uh, talent, and ultimately, you know, save lives. I mean, for me, you know, I used to work in the manufacturing industry many years ago, and I tell people the whole difference between manufacturing and healthcare for me was, uh, you know, in manufacturing, if a bottle of wine, it, it was a winery that I used to work for, if a bottle of wine hit the ground and break, very few people cared about it. They swept up the pieces and, and business goes on. But boy, in healthcare, when a patient comes to us broken, everybody cares about it. And such a wide variety of talent cares about that patient. Uh, to me, I feel like I'm, I'm plugging into something bigger than myself uh, by helping find talent, develop talent, attract talent, and and really build teams around saving people's lives or making people well. Um, And that's what I love. That's what I love to do is is helping organizational teams adapt so leaders can deliver results, right? Which is ultimately saving people's lives. So for me, that's a huge uh, part of what I love. Mm. I definitely hear the connection to impact and impact to patients and clients. Now you wrote a book. Tell us about your book. Yes, it's called Navigating the Healthcare Workforce Shortage, How to Safeguard Your Organization's Most Important Asset. And, uh, you know, it was a book I started uh, thinking about in 2019, and I had an outline um, and had uh, pitched the outline to a publisher, the uh, ACHE's uh, publisher group. And then the pandemic hit. So initially, my outline of my thinking is, you know, we need to think differently anyway about all the usual suspects around workforce shortages. Now, we've had this as an issue even before the pandemic. And I was focused on the usual suspects, such as recruitment, retention, culture, those things. And they're still very, very important. But then when the pandemic hit, I my co-author and I both uh, just resoundingly agreed, Lori Whiteman, uh, that we need to reshuffle this 
outline and start with organizational resiliency um, first. Uh, if we're not resilient as an organization, then things about uh, recruitment and retention and uh, total rewards, all of those things aren't as important or matter if we can't be resilient and barely um, get through the storm. Uh, so that's how the book came about uh, and, and then the whole focus of it. And then uh, what we did is just pause a little bit on the book and, and watched what COVID was doing to workforces and workplaces um, around the world uh, and, and saw that it was pretty much touching just everything, everything we do. And then as we enter into, I'm looking at new trends for 2022 and 2023, and we're, we're seeing that things accelerated uh, impacting the workforce, that acceleration like of technology adoption and things like that are going to continue at its pace going into uh, 2023. Uh, and especially because pandemic, unfortunately, the pandemic hasn't gone away like we had all hoped, you know, and it would just... <laughs> come and go like the flu and be gone, uh, but it still continues. So with that, we need to reinvent how we do things. And the book is very relevant around that. That's basically the premise anyway, was we need to rethink how we approach uh, the workforce. If we're going to solve workforce shortage, we've got to think differently collectively as leaders in this industry. Um, and, and so the book is really meant to challenge and really jumpstart creative thinking around all of these components that we have control over. I appreciate that you and your co-author took a pause to just observe mm -hmm. what COVID was doing and, and frankly is continuing to do. Um, mm -hmm. I think that's a really key piece in recognizing the ongoing challenges uh, and the challenges that emerged from COVID, certainly many of them didn't start with COVID. Some did, and many were existing challenges that were exacerbated. When you think about the workforce shortage, what I'm curious to know is what do you see as the current effects and the ongoing effects? Well, I would say the current effects, and especially a, a real critical one, is around burnout. Uh, and this is sort of a byproduct of not really being resilient, I think, uh, as an organization that has things in place to support a more healthy approach to the stresses that our workforce faces day in and day out. Um, but also there's personal accountability as well. So our healthcare workers are heroes, no question. And I was really encouraged at the beginning of the pandemic to see heroes uplifted and applauded. Uh, but then as the pandemic went on, uh, the trauma that they were seeing daily uh, became more intense long-term. Uh, the hours became longer. The support became more strained. Um, support also in terms of, you know, PPE, lacking PPE and things like that. Uh, the feeling of not feeling safe, let's say, uh, continuing ongoing. Um, crisis fatigue now, and now we're seeing burnout and burnout was a challenge even before COVID, but now we're seeing burnout not addressed is becoming way worse. It's becoming more um, into, in some cases, we're seeing uh, 
PSTD form. We're seeing uh, um, depression form um, and, and ultimate sickness form uh, that might be more long-term for the, the caregiver. And so these are very key concerns that must be addressed um, in a more, I would say, a more critical form uh, and immediately if it's not on the top of a priority uh, for healthcare organizations, I would suggest it, it get there really quick um, because we're already short. Uh, the existing staff that you have now will, will most likely leave if, uh, if, if we can't get this uh, under control or at least reined in to a more healthy area and giving the caregivers the tools they need to address um, uh, those burnout issues and, and uh, worse issues um, quickly. What does the shortage look like? How deep are we in it? Well, I could tell you specifically in the U.S. I was doing some research in Canada, and I'm not really seeing the specific numbers just yet come forward. And you, Leah, may have some information around that. But I, for the U.S. alone. There are estimates that we're going to be 3.2 million healthcare workers short in a matter of five years. Wow. And, and you know, we may look to schools for sure uh, on people enrolling. And so I looked at that data as well. And there was an uptick of enrollment uh, because people saw what was, you know, how healthcare could save people's lives. And that was a, um, intriguing for many. But it's if in the U.S. we're only seeing an uptick of about eighty thousand people uh, mm. in the nation enrolling into healthcare. So, so I, you know, this is unsustainable. I mean, you don't need to be a mathematician to know. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure the numbers probably mirror that in Canada as well as other countries worldwide. Um, it's it's an unsustainable issue here. And um, my call uh, to healthcare organizations is, you know, we're so competitive with each other, right? And we want to kind of hold our, our secrets close to the vest. But boy, I'm saying now's the day that we all need to band together and find ways to campaign collectively to our populations. What is good about healthcare? Why is it a good career? And, and, and what is the future of healthcare and how exciting it is and really campaign to get um, those enrollments up and, and quickly, because five years will be here in no time. Absolutely. I mean, it's a mind boggling gap. Mm-hmm. And as you said, this, this problem, this challenge is bigger than any one organization. Um, it needs to be something that is addressed from a much wider reaching strategy. Mm-hmm. You mentioned earlier about building a resilient organization, what would that look like? You know, that's a great question, Leah, and, and a very smart one. And, and the reason why I say that is because, and I've, I've, in my, have client groups that do many of the same things. They, they want a resilient organization. They assume they have a resilient organization, or they may do things that they like the check the box kind of items, like we'll have a speaker come in and talk to our leaders about why resiliency is important. But as organizations sailed into the storm of all storms right now, which is the pandemic, we find that we didn't have a resilient organization. So my first challenge to leaders is to define it. 
for yourselves. What does resiliency look like? And I will give you some imagery here to, to help paint that picture for you and help you uh, become creative with your leadership teams on defining it. So imagine sailing out on the open sea. A soft breeze caresses the sails. The seagulls are squawking playfully. Uh, but suddenly a storm approaches you. The breeze quickly becomes a strong gust. The sound of seagulls is replaced with the cracking sound of thunder and lightning through the dark sky. Your boat begins to creak and moan under the strain of crashing waves, but it holds strong. The sails are tough enough to withstand the pressure. You adjust them to accommodate the shifting gale force winds. That is what resiliency looks like. So take a minute and I would suggest that organizational leaders think about how your ship sailed in and now currently through the storm. Were you able to adjust your sails uh, to take on additional pressures, um, additional challenges? Were you able to change your supply chains protocols? Were you able to shift people from one area to the other? Um, were you able to, in some cases, I saw organizations that did do well. Uh, I got word from a client that they were able to take business office people and shift them over into patient care areas to take care of some of the things that didn't require a licensure to do, but it freed up the nurses to be able to take care of patients in critical areas that were more top of license for them. Now, in some cases, organizations may not have had that ability. Um, so, you know, one of the tricks of the trade is you're hiring people, make sure that they're aware that, yeah, we may be hiring you to be a business office person today, but know that we are a healthcare organization first, and we're all here to, um, take care of patients. And if the time comes where we need to have you work somewhere else, that would be the expectation of the job. Having that is kind of an expectation up front. So that way, if it, the day comes, you don't have resistance, angry people, that's not my job kind of people uh, resisting, uh, helping out at a time when you need resilient people to take care of business or take care of patients rather. Mm. I really appreciate the picture you painted. And within that, one of the things that that stood out to me as maybe core or fundamental to that entire picture was adaptability. And I'm wondering if that resonates with you. It absolutely resonates with me. Uh, you know, the adaptable side of things, um, you know, and, and, I, and it resonates with me in this sort of way. Um, while we've got the pandemic as a challenge, I'm willing to bet, and I think many of your leaders will agree, that this isn't going to be the one and only challenge we face as an industry. Uh, we've got now technology that's going to disrupt parts of healthcare, um, and, and maybe a lot of the of healthcare. I was hearing uh, about technology that enables, for example, surgeons to be able to take uh, conduct surgery remotely. Uh, so patients are located in some remote uh, county somewhere, and the surgeon is located somewhere else, but through robotics, they have the ability to conduct surgery somewhere else. So what does that mean for staff? Uh, let's say that explodes as a technology, disrupts healthcare. Do you have the skill set 
to be ahead of that. And I would say the adaptable side of business um, here is going to needs to be paramount. And we may be tired, we may be exhausted from <laughs> uh, you know crisis fatigue, but I'm willing to bet those those crashing waves are not finished yet, and um, they're going to be in different forms. Yeah. And the reinvention of healthcare, the shortage as a, as it is, is going to require healthcare to re reinvent and restructure itself anyway, because it's just unsustainable as it is. So we're going to have to find ways to adopt new technologies. But with that, then uh, ask yourself, do you have an adaptable team to take on these new, the new, what the future of healthcare looks like? Right. Those crashing waves and, and as you mentioned, they're coming in different forms. I mean, some of the, the ones that I'm finding just very front of mind uh, because of current media coverage and and just current situations mm-hmm. are you know global health issues monkeypox is the latest yeah. um you know climate change and the effects of climate mm-hmm. change as well all of those things that perhaps were not first and foremost in our mm-hmm. healthcare leaders minds needs to be because we're seeing the mm-hmm. effects of those so in response to your picture that you painted and the questions that you asked healthcare leaders, if they were to say, nope, that's not us, mm-hmm. what, it, what can they do about it? Well, I've got 10 steps, as, as you know, but it's not a checklist item. We do tend to, as leaders, look for checklists. And, mm-hmm. and while I have a checklist in the book, it's really about culture and where leaders are. So this is really kind of a journey rather than a checklist. And some of these steps, while we may feel we have them in place, and we do, um, what the pandemic did, if there's anything good about it, not really, but if there was <laughs> anything good about it, it gave us new lenses to look at ourselves with. Right. And so you know, savvy leaders, and, and I've got clients that are like this already on it, they uh, are accepting that as, as a gift, uh, to be able to look at ourselves all over again with, but with different lenses. So real quickly, I mean, the first part of that is leaders need to do their personal pre-work, meaning it's, it's, it's really hard to lead others when our selves are fatigued and burned out the great resignation, which isn't what's not really being widely talked about is that includes leaders quitting by the droves. They're moving up the retirements, they're done. Um, many of them just in what I'm hearing and in some of the feedback I'm receiving, it has to do with crisis fatigue. Yeah. They're just done. So leaders do your own personal pre-work, um, what model for your staff, what good, um, self-care looks like, what good, um, self-accountability around burnout looks like model it and, and do it while you're taking care of yourself. Um, and, and get to a place where you can um, be centered and lead with a clear heart and mind. And then, uh, then we can move on to two, which is developing that resilient workforce. And, and there are three areas that we look at, which one of the keys is alignment, is, is the key word there. Uh, are employees aligned? Are we hiring people aligned with our mission and vision? Or are we hiring out of convenience or what I call convenience hiring? 
there is the temptation to do that, surely, because we've got the shortage. We need to have bodies in here that are licensed and we'll take care of patients. But with that, we are circumventing um, having our own workforce be resilient and aligned with our mission and visions. Uh, and then also leaders, are they aligned with the mission and vision? Uh, I find in some cases I've had clients where leader, there were some pockets of leaders that weren't necessarily all together bought in on the, the values that we espouse, that we talk about, that we print, that we advertise. Uh, there are leaders that aren't necessarily uh, aligned with those. Uh, they may create, so we may say our value is having a compassion but yet we've got leaders that um, in some cases, it's not wide. I've met really great leaders too, uh, but there are some that created a toxic work environment. Mm-hmm. So you got to ask those tough questions. Do you have leaders that are aligned and, and what are you going to do about it? Uh, and then our mission and vision, um, we got to stick to those uh, because we, we, we say that those are important to us, but in our actions, when we're engaged in convenience hiring, we create a tailspin of turnover eventually um, because employees see through, they see through it all. They see through the scripts, they see through the branding statements and they watch, they watch uh, what leaders do. Uh, And then, you know, they'll be the first to snicker behind leaders backs and, and, and potentially call them hypocrites and things like that. I've I've seen it because I read chats and I read, uh, all kinds of feedback. And so the, the very skill we want to attract, we want uh, to make sure that we're all uh, centered and aligned with our own mission and, va- and values. And then we want to develop authentic relationships. This is three. Um, and get back to having sincere relationships with the community. Uh, in some regard, it was strained Um, you know, with uh, difficult decisions being made about lockdowns or um, just, just all kinds of mandates and things that were that's created a a sense of distrust. So we need to um, revisit having authentic relationships. And and there's been work around this uh, called relationship based care. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mary Colorados and David Abelson has advanced frameworks around this. I would encourage leaders to re-pick that up if some of you have, and maybe even lost lost our way somewhere along the way. And by the way, I say, you know, I tell leaders, look at, you know, we didn't have the the road book, or we didn't have like a guidebook on how to deal with pandemics like this one, you know, and, and step-by-step and, and still see good things in the end. We were all figuring it out as we went along in a lot of regards. Right. And uh, we may have lost ground as far as trust, but I would say it's never too late to revisit and go back and, and reestablish good relationships with it, whether it be with the community patients, population, workforce, city leaders, um, rethink about uh, developing those authentic relationships or repairing and building authentic relationships going forward. And then four, I just say communicate strategically and effectively. Now we've all known this as leaders that (laughs) communication is important. But, you know, with the 
pandemic, <laughs> like, like I said, some things just kind of fell. Um, yes. and that's, you know, there's no blame here and I'm not judging, but revisit that as a, as a, as a strategy. If you want to retain people, they, they like feeling like they're being uh, informed right. and, and included, and that's never changed. Um, whether it's good news, I found it, uh, whether it's good news or bad news, um, workforce like to be informed and they like to be included. So I've even, I've, in my experience as a HR executive, having to deliver bad news, I've had staff come to me and thank me, uh, even though it was bad news, <laughs> you know, with financials, but they've thanked me for being transparent with them and that they got to hear about it from me before they read about it or heard about it in the news. So uh, that's such an important uh, part of the resiliency toolbox, if you will. And then developing leaders at all levels of the organization. Look at, uh, you know, the succession planning is more important, I would say, even more today than it ever has been. It's always been important, but with the re resignations of leaders taking place, what is your future plan? And I've seen clients where they've relegated leadership development to like executives on up or, um, and then they have the big events and things like that, but then they forget the frontline staff or they even forget those emerging leaders, those folks that are really good at what they do and we want to promote them. And then we forget to give them the tools they need to be effective leaders. So I would say number five is developing leaders at all all levels of the organization are absolutely important here. Investing in technology platforms that adapt quickly is six. Now I'm, I've been a part of many uh, technology implementations along my time. Um, in some cases we've picked technology that wasn't completely adaptable and organizations have had to spend lots of money to do, do over again. <laughs> And, and buy, buy either do upgrades or buy something different and quash the one that they had already invested lots of money in because it's not advancing fast enough or it's not adapting. Right. So I would just include that in your toolbox. Take a look at, and even with the future state of additional technology, we know it's coming. So, you know, it's no one, yeah. needs, no one needs a crystal ball to know that technology is in the future of healthcare. Uh, and it's going to be taken by storm, I think, in, in a lot of regard. Uh, so make sure that's in your toolbox as well. And then, of course, refreshing your emergency management training and, and teams. That is something we've always done. We've had it. We're required as healthcare organizations to have an emergency management um, team and training and program. But uh, my question of you is take a look at it and wonder how it did during the pandemic. So we've done, we've had these built for natural disasters like floods and hurricanes and uh, earthquakes and, and all kinds of things like that. But ask yourself, how did it do during the pandemic? Um, and I think having kind of a debrief, uh, even now that the, in the pandemic's not over, but take some deliberate steps and revisit that and continue to build a better plan. And then this has always been a part of it. And a part of healthcare is always evaluating financial stewardship. I mean, that's just 
we we must do more with less. Uh, that's you know, in increasing our our quality of care, but with less costs has always been um, sort of a a mandate for our industry. But having that strong financial stru- structure, but with alerts and quick action. Um, will help you maintain a, a very resilient boat. Uh, often I've sat in financial meetings where we look at the past, uh, what happened in you know the last month, uh, but what about alerts? What's happening real time? You know, what's our um, our contract labor, for example, is going crazy and out of out of control? Do we have alerts and measures in place to help us? Uh, respond to things as they happen real time? And are we also in the ability to predict or even uh, project what's going to happen here in the future, near future with financial? So I challenge uh, organizations to make sure you've got a strong uh, financial stewardship plan, not just for the past, but also real time and in the future. And then nine is maintaining a safe and high quality services. Now I get it. We're healthcare. This is, this is who, what we do. Yeah. <laughs> Why is this in here? <laughs> well, because now we're short staff more than ever. And we've seen stories and it hits the news that how the local healthcare organization had to shut down a service line because there's not enough staff or there's other things going on. We don't have enough um, supplies or, or just a number of things have happened and it's hit the news. Uh, and so, and we got to remember that our population, um, are a little bit more nervous than ever <laughs> getting mm-hmm. into the healthcare organization. I don't know about you. I, uh, now here I've worked in healthcare in the administrative and strategic leadership capacity for 18 years, but, uh, and so I went in and always got my uh, vaccinations and my um, my annual checkups with my physician, no problem, until the uh, pandemic hit. And then I got the alerts, uh, hey, it's time for your annual checkup. And I'm like, yeah, not so much. I'm yeah. not going in. <laughs> I'm not, not going to do it now. I'm good. I feel good. I'm mm-hmm. not going in. You know, and I, you know, I know that that's what our populations collectively felt like. They were just like, we're not going in. So revisiting, I would say with this new lens that we have revisiting our maintaining of safe and high quality services, which would also include uh, being very creative about how we're dealing with our staff shortages, which includes building those care teams, cross-training, and, and, and as I mentioned before, non-traditional cross-training, such as using the uh, business office people to help support uh, clinical staff in ways that they can, uh, that frees up the clinical staff to, to do what they need to. And then, of course, 10 is to create a culture of innovation and creativity. Now, here's the thing. If you don't establish a culture of innovation and creativity, you won't have it when you need it. And in in approaches like empowering employees through the pandemic came in really handy for many healthcare systems. And I've had clients that said that that's really worked well because they're closer to the problem they're closer to creative solutions and having that culture where they're safe to come up with ideas that we have never thought of before or try different things uh, is really um, one of those key tools in the resiliency toolbox, if you will. 
I appreciate all of these 10 steps, and I think they're all incredibly useful. And as you said, some of them are about revisiting things. Some of them are maybe about looking at things from a different lens. And what I'm curious about of the 10, and and you mentioned it's not a checklist, but of the 10, what would you say is the most important one from your perspective? Well, and that's a, a tough one because I think they all um, come hand in hand uh, and they all work well with each other. But, you know, developing that resilient workforce and leaders taking care of themselves and making sure they're resilient and they're building those resiliency skills are, are absolutely critical. Mm-hmm. Uh, because from there, everything else comes into play. I mean, if you've got a, a healthy work environment uh, with talented people who are engaged and not exhausted um, to the point of uh, just wanting to give up, uh, then all these other things come into play. I mean, you've got talented people, so they'll uh, help you develop authentic relationships, let's say, or they'll also plug the holes in that communication plan that may have fell fell apart at some point, or those folks will will help um, help you adopt and and make recommendations around technology that's going to see you not just through change today, but change in the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I would say that having that workforce and leaders that are resilient, everything else will fall into place under them. Okay. I mean, I'm definitely hearing that if you can focus in on that, the other things will come, um, mm-hmm. obviously with time, effort, and work. Um, however, there does need to be a basis, if you will, on the resilient workforce and leadership. Absolutely right. And here's the thing I will tell you, you know, like I say, and, and this is really for those leaders that say, hey, you know, we're, we're getting by. We're fine. We're not going to we're not going to focus on that resiliency piece. Let me read a, a couple things that I have been picking up from staff uh, mm-hmm. through social media. So here's one that says, why are mental health days so frowned upon in healthcare? To get the day off, you have to be sick. And sick is in quotes. Mm-hmm. In this seemingly unending pandemic, something has got to give. We are not machines. We are people. We need time off to process the trauma we see daily. Here's another one. Burnout doesn't, doesn't even begin to cover it. I round much less than most of my colleagues, and it still took all I had this time. I went home and cried. Mm. we'll see and there I've got hundreds of these yeah. um so you know again and I've heard it before well where's their accountability we've got tools they can get EAP but the thing is I think we're beyond the finger pointing and why aren't you doing this and why aren't you doing that I think it's a we a we uh thing a we solution why don't we all sit down and talk about how we can uh get through this together mm-hmm. I am so grateful you mentioned about getting through it together. And I know, you know, people are a little bit tired of the um, analogy that we're all in the same boat. Um, But the reality is, it's true. Uh, And I, I wonder if you were speaking to a frontline leader, um, what would you say is something they should start doing tomorrow to put this all in motion? 
You know, I would uh, start pulling people together um, from different levels. I would uh, consider bringing together a cross-functional team, different levels, uh, to talk about uh, resiliency and, and start to put uh, ideas together on how to get this lifted to a higher level on priorities of the organization. Meaning, you know, we we do tend to put things very high level, which is which is appropriate. Quality of care, absolutely. Uh, financial um, well being of the organization is usually those top metrics. But I would talk about how to put organizational resiliency is a critical component up there to be talked about, monitored, watched uh, as you develop customized solutions for each each of your organizations. So now while we're in the same industry, right, healthcare, there's no two same organizations either. We all have our own different cultures, our own maybe unique challenges uh, based on where we're located. And um, so having customized solutions that make sense for your organization that comes from your people uh, where you're involving people in the solution uh, will go will go the distance. Okay, beautiful. I think about, as you mentioned that, uh, what we were chatting about before we started recording about space and grace. And, you know, I think about that whole idea of, resiliency and allowing for that space and grace within organizations. Mm -hmm. Um, And as you said, really tapping into the collective knowledge and wisdom of your people. Absolutely. So Tricia, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate um, our conversation and any closing thoughts? No, I just, uh, you know, while a lot of these things uh, we may have had in place, I would challenge leaders to be brave and courageous and rise above your own crisis fatigue and, and revisit and, and retake a look and challenge your own status quo thinking. Uh, because now's the time. I don't think, I think all of us can agree. We're not going to return to normal. There's no normal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so now's the time to recreate a, a culture, recreate protocols, recreate a workforce um, program that really makes sense, uh, not just for today, but for tomorrow as well. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Tresha, for being here today and sharing your knowledge. It's my pleasure, Leah. Thank you so much for the invitation. Thanks so much for joining us today at Central Line Leadership in Healthcare. Also, if you liked what you heard, please head on over to Apple Podcasts to leave us a review. Be sure to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Also, if you'd like to learn more about our host, Leah Woodchick, check out talltreesleadership.com.